Right, welcome everyone to Fastlift's podcast, episode 27. Um, so this is going to be the Q&A for October. And uh, yeah, I've got about 10 questions today. I'm going to just start and get straight into them. So let's begin. So uh, I got a series of questions from a fellow off the forums. and They're pretty good questions. Um, so basically, he's looking at the differences between uh, evidence-based or, or research-based approaches versus the practical application. Um, and what people have been doing, you know, over the years, and he he cites the example of fasted cardio. Science says that fasted cardio has no benefit, um, and that's you know that's a good example. I think there is a caveat to be made there as well, um, but we'll, we'll let's go with the question first. So he says I'd like to hear some things that you disagree with. I think probably the biggest thing that contradicts the research to the science to the research to the experience is frequency of um, hitting muscle groups. Which is which is what uh, he wrote in his example. So the research, the majority of the research, the body of the research shows that higher frequencies tend to favor um, better muscle growth. So hitting a body part two or three times a week tends to produce favorable results compared to hitting a body part um, once a week. However, the majority of the largest uh, bodybuilders ever have generally hit a body part once a week. So you know how do we explain that basically? So that's definitely, you know, disagreement of the research. Um, so, I mean, that's a huge question. Um, there, are, there are a lot of different ways. Um, so I'm going to explain some of the ways where this explanation might, um, you know, uh, why the, explain some of the ways that, we, you know, this, this might happen um, and why bodybuilders might go for a one-time week frequency uh, and then just talk about the limitations of science as well. So in terms of looking at sample sizes for for pro bodybuilders and just you know the biggest guys of all time, we have to remember that these guys they're going to be genetically predisposed to being very very big. Now that particular type of body part may well not be not require the same type of training as someone who's built more slightly, for example. So we could uh, you've all if you've tuned into me before you've heard my theories on sort of tendon and ligament strength and how that affects how you should train. We can safely assume that if you're a pro bodybuilder and if you're that size and you've managed to get up to you know 250 lean or whatever, you probably have the type of the body type which is fairly robust, and you're probably able to put your body through quite a lot of work per session, enough work per session that you can damage the muscle sufficiently that it will continue to grow in just one session per week. Um, if you're not particularly genetically blessed and say your tendon structure, ligament structure, perhaps through age even, has deteriorated, then you know that might not be the case. You may need a couple of sessions. You may need to hit, hit chest on Monday and then come back on Thursday where the tendons have had a bit of a chance to recover. Whereas if you just smash all your volume in one session, by the end of it, your chest will be just so, uh, your, your ligament structure will be so destroyed um, that, and deformed that you wouldn't actually be able to hit your chest as effectively. So there's this one thing. Um, second thing is just comparing sample size and sample population. In studies, you're not looking at guys who are 250, 260 pounds on steroids. You're not. You're just not looking at them. You're looking at guys who are, you know, in average shape, usually natty. Um, and uh, it's a different size population. Um, and you've got the other factor. The guys who are pro bodybuilders and even guys who are really very good at what they do, so they might be national level competitors, for example, or very good regional level bodybuilders, they're probably not going to sign up to a study for three months to, to do some random whack-ass training that's 
going to take them off their plan. You know, those type of bodybuilders who've got their shit together, they, they're generally not going to sign up to these studies. So it makes you wonder, well, you know, who are they doing these studies on? And is that really applicable to a bunch of bodybuilders who've got their, you know, who've got their shit on the grind pretty much all year round, you know, in terms of meals, training, and all that kind of stuff. So that's the other thing. The other thing is the inclusion of, of uh, hormones. I think that makes a difference. Um, one of the biggest side effects of hormones is that it enables your body to hold more glycogen. You generally appear to be fuller. Um, holding more glycogen will allow you to do more work. Allowing you to do more work means you can hit a body part harder and harder and harder per bout because you've got more endurance, basically. Like if you ever tried to do a workout when you're massively depleted, you, you know your endurance pretty much peters out after one or two exercises. If you do a workout where you're very, very full, then you know you can do more work. Imagine if you were very full and your body was artificially holding even more glycogen just due to the hormones. You can do even more work per session. So that's another difference there as well. There are a huge number of differences. So this is one of those situations where there is a contradiction there. And I think generally, when there is such a big contradiction, I think you should go with, firstly, what works for you primarily. But secondly, lean towards the practical evidence in that situation. That's what I, I fully believe that. And I particularly believe that these days as well, because I think, as I've just demonstrated, those are three distinct ways in which you, three distinct factors which couldn't be explained by the research. Okay? So in that situation where there's that much um, ambiguity over what's causing the difference between the frequency that we've seen in the research and the frequency we've seen in practical uh, experience, I think it's best off going with practical experience because I don't believe we're there yet in terms of hypertrophy research or finding out what the optimal frequency is for everybody. We have a body of research that gives us a reasonable direction, but it's, it's, certainly, uh, it's certainly limited. Um, people like uh, Brad Schoenfeld and uh, Brett Contreras, some of the top guys in the field, they understand the limitations. And I think that's where when you've read enough science literature, you get to a point of maturity where you kind of understand the benefits of the research, but also limitations. To give you a really broad analogy, it's kind of like when you were younger and you believe that your parents were just right all the time and they were like, you know, shining beacon of truth and morality and everything. And then you grow up and you realize they're just regular people trying to make their own way in life and be the best they can be with their own hopes and goals and you were actually part of those hopes. You, you were their kid they were because they wanted a child. Um, <laughs> and you realize they're not perfect. They're not shining beacons of, beacons of truth. They're just doing the best they can do. And I think in the same way, when you mature and you've read enough scientific literature and you mature in your approach, you, know, you realize science is perfect. Um, and we are really just doing the best we can with what we've got. And I think if you understand that and you recognize that, it'll save you from jumping online and, and starting arguments with people and saying, well, science says this, science says this, or you dumb bodybuilders will be bigger off, uh, bigger and better training, uh, you know, with more frequency. And, you know, believe me, I've read people who've, who've written that. In fact, I read, I read something similar to that today. And the, the, <laughs> the ignorance <laughs> masquerading as arrogance was, was incredible. Uh, but that's, you know, that, that's just youth is what it is. So, yeah, I think, you know, in those situations, I am more likely to verge on practical experience um, than I am on scientific uh, research when there's a contradiction. I think when they both align, fantastic. But when there's a contradiction, I, that's when I tend to move more towards experience. So, yeah, really good question. 
this is from the same guy. Uh, do you think most people need, he's, he's talking about side dealt development. And he says, do you think most people need anything more than side raises? Or you're better off just blasting your own side raises? Do you need things like upright rows, barbell presses, all that kind of stuff? Well, I'll, I'll say this. The majority of my dealt work is lateral raises of various kinds. So cable, dumbbell is my preference. Um, uh, so yeah, that's pretty much 80% of my uh, machine, machine laterals as well. That's pretty much 80% of my shoulder work. I do the occasional uh, bit of upright rowing. I do the very, very occasional bit of um, overhead pressing. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've increased my shoulder size a lot since my powerlifting days. Uh, predominantly just through getting better and better at dumbbell raises, just better execution, um, heavier weights. Uh, I think I have handled up to 24 kilos per dumbbell, fairly strict on dumbbell laterals, and that's, you know, standing. That's a pretty good way. Bit of a kick to get it started, but, you know, fairly strict. Feeling, certainly feeling it in the side delt. So, yeah, I think if you just get better and better at side raises, you can have pretty good side development. Upright rows, if you do them correctly, they should just be like uh, side side raises, but just done with you holding the weight in front of you rather than out to the sides. The elbow action is what you're looking for. So the elbow action of, uh, just to sort of imagine it while I'm, while I'm speaking, imagine yourself doing a lateral raise, okay, and picture where your elbows are going, right? Now, make your elbows go in the same place, but pretend you're holding a barbell. That's what should happen. So the barbell should allow you to mimic the same range of motion from your elbows as uh, lateral raise. That's how to do barber upright row effectively, properly, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, upright rows are great. And regards to the type of sort of the modality, yeah, I mean, barbell, dumbbell, cable, same with side delts, um, dumbbell, cable, machine, they're all good. So the majority of my work is side, uh, is, um, side laterals of various kinds. Probably 15% upright rows and probably 5% presses. Uh, I do that much chest pressing and incline pressing. I really don't feel the need to overemphasize more front delt work. Um, I place pretty much all of the, the focus when I'm training delts on side delts. Um, I do quite a lot on rare delts, so I think that's important. But once you've, I found that once you've got a decent level of side delt, rare delt development, um, you can maintain that fairly well just using back exercises as long as you're working strict enough. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, particularly rowing movements. Rowing movements really tend to kill the rare delts if you do them properly. All right. Uh, next question. So this one is the final question from this guy. It's about nutrient timing. Um, people, why do most people feel that nutrient time is, impo is important around weight training sessions but unimportant around cardio sessions? Basically, the school of thought I see from most informed people is that pre- and post-workout nutrition is imperative. But then people say, basically, you can eat your daily 2,000 calories as far away from cardio as possible, shafas did, or shovel them all down before you hop on the treadmill, and results will be the same, pure calories in versus calories out. Um, I think you've got to factor a couple of practical, practical factors here as well. Um, I, I don't see that many people eating a massive amount pre-workout. I think you know a little bit pre-workout is fine. Um, I, I recommend a little bit pre-workout. I don't recommend massive amounts. Post-workout nutrition, yeah, I don't, I don't think it is imperative, really. Um, we, we, know, we know that the anabolic window isn't an hour like we used to think. It's probably longer than that. I think it's bigger the more advanced you are. Sorry, I think the, the window is shorter, narrower, the more advanced you are. So I think you have less room for error. But for the average gym rat, 
no, I, I don't see it really. Come out of the gym, go home, get a meal. Uh, I, I don't necessarily see the point of having a protein shake. I don't. Um, straight after. I think it's post-workout nutrition becomes very important if you're training twice a day uh, or if you're training before bed. But aside from that, no, I don't see it as that important, to be honest. I don't even see pre-workout as that important. It's it's a thing. It's part of a plan. Um, if you know what type of pre-workout to take, you can get some good pumps, good vascularity, all that kind of stuff. I don't consider them imperative, really. Um, with regards to cardio, eating before cardio, you can do, but you're probably going to puke up. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of this is preference. Regarding the fasted cardio, um, I was going to cover it in the other question, but I'll get, I'll get to it now. Regarding fasted cardio, I've said this on the podcast before, fasted cardio only makes sense if you're doing it, if, you, if it's in combination with some pretty gnarly uh, bodybuilding drugs. So that's the only place, it's the only situation where it has a place. Um, as like there's, a, for, there's a concrete argument to say, okay, there's a reason we're doing this. Otherwise, not really. And I think, you know, in this situation, you have to make sure you're doing what you can to progress, not looking for the optimal approach all the time. Uh, not saying that's you in particular, this, the person who asked this question, but I think in general, most people have difficulty enough eating four or five meals a day on a consistent basis with the right macros, um, doing the cardio they need to do if they need to do it, and training really, really, really fucking hard. Most people have difficulty doing that. That's why most people just don't progress, okay? Fact, putting additional emphasis on things like this is what detracts people because I've seen it. And you might say to me, well, how is that going to detract my training in the gym? I'm not going to think about it. It does. Like, it burns you out. Over time, trust me, it does. I've seen it. Like, I've been around gyms for 20 years. I've coached for years now. Like, I've seen it the best clients that I have are the ones that just say, okay, Faz, you just deal with this. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. I'm like, great. Those are the best clients. The best clients I also, I have, uh, the other thing about the best clients I have is they typically tend to be very busy people. They're family people. They have, you know, relatively or good jobs that they're busy with. They're up early in the morning because they have a busy packed schedule. They don't have time to think about all this shit because their, their energy and their focus is spread across other things that they need to do. And those tend to be my best type of clients. Um, and I believe that's uh, probably because they don't overthink things. So the, the people who sort of stay on the forum and they, they think about things constantly, they, tend, they generally tend to remain small. I don't know why. I don't, I'm, it, it sounds like I'm trying to be offensive. I'm not. I'm not trying to be offensive at all. I'm just telling you what I've seen from experience. There aren't too many guys that do a lot of talking online and are actually pretty big. Now, take from that what you will. But the guys I know who work with me, who tend to get the best results, just put their head down and just, just get on with it. And I can tell when a guy's going through a bad patch, like one of my clients in particular, because he'll just send me like a bunch of like research and opinions and all that kind of stuff. What do you think of this? What do you think of this? What do you think of this? And I know he needs to break. I know he needs to pull back because he's unfocused. So your best, in your best interest is to try and remain focused and just decide for yourself, like, do, am I in this to get results or am I in this to learn more about getting results? <laughs> you know, that, that's the thing. Like, are you in this to get results or are you in this to learn about getting results? You know, they're two different things. 
All right, moving on to the next one. Biggest gym pet peeve. Fuck. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah, nowadays there, there aren't many things that piss me off directly. Like, you know, people get pissed off with like people on phones and stuff like that. I don't. Like, you can go on your phone. I don't care. Um, I don't care what the people do. I don't. But when it affects my workout, that's when I care. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Here's here's a new pet peeve that's come up to me recently. It's not just the gym. It's like Instagram and blah blah blah. As I've been getting more and more popular with coaching, <laughs> um, one of my pet peeves is people coming up to me in the gym or spamming my Instagram box, um, saying, "Yeah, I want coaching." It's like, great, fantastic. We have conversation about this, and this about that. They're like super pumped. Like I'm, like, you know, I'm like, great. You know, I can tell you're very excited about this, and you know, we kind of talk about it, and then nothing. They just blank me, um, and you know, we kind of leave it as like, yeah, I'm really, really excited, blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff. So they're great, and then just nothing, just blank. And the amount of like times I've been hooked into a conversation at the gym, talking about how you know they want coaching, I, I try and be polite as much as I can. Um, the amount of times I've been hooked into conversation about coaching it, and then it just leads to nothing that gets tiring after a while. Um, so if, for anyone listening out there, like I'm very happy to talk to you about coaching. Um, but please do read the website first, you know, have a look at the coaching section. I do have everything there. I have even my prices and, and everything else. They're all, it's all there, you know? So, um, then you sort of get into a situation where perhaps, I don't know. It sounds like a better idea than it is or whatever. I don't know. I don't know why, but you know, if just, just bear in mind, like, you know, I'm while, you know, while I am offering a service and, and all that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still a guide and I've still got shit to do. So <laughs> just, you know, everything's on the website. Do your research. If you are interested, great, fantastic. Email it through. We'll talk, but you know, taking 20 minutes of a guy's time when he's just trying to do, a workout, you know, and it's going to lead to nothing. It's, it, that gets a bit tiring. Um, so that at the moment, that's probably my biggest gym pet peeve. Um, I mean, it shows that, you know, things are going in the right direction, which is cool. Um, but yeah, that, that can be a little annoying. Uh, another question here. This is another personal question. What do you prefer, bodybuilding or powerlifting? Oof. Well, fuck. Um, yeah, I don't know. When I was powerlifting, I loved it. You know, I love powerlifting. I love being strong. Um, I love competition. I know the guy who asked me this does compete. So um, it's a good job on that. I, I, I do happen to think that if you want to call yourself a powerlifter, you should compete. I know people disagree with me on that, but um, just walk into any gym on a Monday night and look at the state of the bench presses you see and the people in there calling themselves powerlifters, and then you'll understand why. I think you have to compete before you call yourself a powerlifter because you see some absolute shit lifting uh, people un under the guise of being a powerlifter. It's like get fucked. Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't pass one lift in a competition lifting like that. So uh, um, yeah, I do happen to think that you you need to compete first so you understand what the standards are. You just need to take a look at like any one of those bodybuilding fail channels on Instagram to understand why I say this because everybody thinks they're a powerlifter when they're benching with their ass off the, the bench and the mates helping them with the bar and yeah, yeah, bench 100 kilos. Woo. Um, so yeah, a bit of a tangent, but do I prefer bodybuilding or powerlifting? I've competed in both. <sighs> Overall, I, yeah, I couldn't say. 
I couldn't say. I, I came to the conclusion after my bodybuilding competition that I just loved competition in general. I don't really care what, what it is. I love sporting competition. So I loved bodybuilding when I was doing it. So I love powerlifting when I was doing it. I love bodybuilding now. Um, and I just love the competition aspect. So I couldn't really give you an answer. Someone asked me a, a similar question a while back and they said, what's harder, bodybuilding and powerlifting? I think bodybuilding is probably harder with regards to the diet, particularly contest prep. Contest prep is brutal. Like it's not easy to get down to that percentage of body fat. You think of how many people you know personally that have tried a diet and failed. And that's just to get, you know, regularly lean. Then you think what bodybuilders have to go through to get stage lean. Like it's not easy. Powerlifting, I think week to week the sessions are harder. Like powerlifting, when you leave a session, it's you you ground your joints into dust like every single time. You don't get that necessarily with bodybuilding every single time. So I think bodybuilding competitions are probably a lot harder. Powerlifting year-round training is probably harder if you do it right. But then again, with I'm talking about it from my experience of of competing. You know, I'm not talking about it of your casual gym jock who's got powerlifter in his Instagram bio when, you know, he never, he's never actually benched anything to competition in the standard. Uh, next, I think this is a good couple of questions uh, off the forums. As a coach, at what point do you tell a less than gifted athlete that bodybuilding isn't for them? I don't. I do not. So how the fuck do I know? How the fuck do I know? Well, how the fuck do I know whether bodybuilding is for them or not? How do you know? How is he going to know? You don't know. You don't know. When I first started powerlifting, so when I first started lifting, um, within three years, I'd stalled with a 90 kilo bench. Um, my deadlift and squat were pretty decent, a 90 kilo bench. And I was told at the time that was my genetic limit, right? So somebody told me that's, that's all you've got. So there's no point being a powerlifter if you've got an articular bench. It fucking sucks. Did I stop? No, I didn't. I found a way. I found a way and eventually benched 180. Doubled that. So when do I tell a less than gifted athlete that bodybuilder? I won't fucking tell them. You don't fucking tell them. You don't know. It sounds like you've given up. That's bullshit. That's a bullshit attitude. It's embarrassing. That's a bullshit attitude. You note there is no, like, it's not for me. You do what you can, you put in a good amount of effort, and you see where it gets you. No one gets anything for free after two or three years. It's not how it works. And if that's the impression you're in, then bodybuilding was never meant for you, or sports were never meant for you. So no, you don't, you'd ever tell them that, because you don't know. It's not your place to say that, because you don't know. Um, secondly, and they think they should rethink their hormone use, as bodybuilding isn't going to pay the bills. This one, yeah, this one is, is, yeah. I think with this one, me personally, if I am coaching a guy and he decides to use something like that, um, I've got him on the minimal dose anyway because I want to see what he can do act, as an actual bodybuilder first. I had a guy come to me last year and he was on two grams a gear <laughs> because his previous coach had put him on two grams a gear. Another local coach who... Uh, shall remain unnamed but uh he's fairly big uh around here had him on two grams of gear anyway um <laughs> this guy just didn't even look like he worked out like literally didn't look like he worked out at all 
Um, so I immediately pulled him back to like 300. Um, that the reason for that wasn't the fact that he was ungifted or whatever, because I don't know, because frankly, he wasn't eating right, he wasn't training right, he wasn't doing anything right. He was a mess in terms of his bodybuilding, you know, potential. Or his bodybuilding, we, we couldn't tell his bodybuilding potential because he didn't do, fucking do anything right. Like, I don't know what his previous coaches tell him to do, but he was training like shit, eating like shit, um, and he was on two grams a gear. Uh, okay. You know, so with him, with, so my point is, with, I'm not going to encourage anyone to do that. Like, that's, not, that's not my place. If they've decided to do that, then okay, fine. And we'll try and do it with, you know, the minimum amounts. Um, if not, and it's a decision that they want me to help them with, it's not my place to say. And I've, I've basically warned, most people that have asked me about cycles and hormones and stuff and wanted my advice, I've told them not to do it. Because I don't think it's, I, yeah, that's my general stance. You know, be aware of the risks. But in general, you know, you got a guy who's 22 years old asking to do it. Hell no. God no. Learn how to train, learn how to eat first. And then see where that gets you and go from there. Uh, next exercise. Do you buy, sorry, next question. Do you buy organic? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I do not. It's 2019. I think if anyone's buying organic at this point, they are just an idiot, essentially. Uh, they're either an idiot, so they don't really know the difference between organic and regular, or they're an idiot and they just like to show off because somehow maybe that gives them a peace of mind that they have some kind of upper hand status. I don't know. Just It just seems really low IQ to me at this point because if you actually look into the practices of um, organic um, farming, you'll see that they're, they aren't particularly different regular farming um, and in some cases actually a lot worse in terms of like carbon footprints and stuff like that so no I'd, I think it's uh, moronic frankly it's the same people you know it's I think it, there's a couple of good accounts on Instagram who, if you if you do you know uh, I'll have got questions about this look for um, I think it's food science babe something like that uh, on Instagram and also anti anti-diet nutrition I think those two are pretty good when it comes to stuff like this. Um, yes, I would I would look to them for some answers, but no, I'd say if you're it's like if you're still eating organic now, it's like it's like still having BCAAs. You're just basically telling the world you're stupid. That's essentially what it is. So yeah, no, not not something I'm in the habit of doing. Um, last question: What have you done to work around exercise you can no longer do? This is a good question. Um, for the most part, I tend to avoid most barbell exercises these days. It's a damn shame because <laughs> for about 15 to 20 years, that's all I did was barbell exercises. Um, but over time, those are the ones, for whatever reason, that seem to just cause me niggles, cause me little muscle strains, all that kind of stuff. So I don't bench anymore. If I deadlift, it's stiff leg and fairly light. Um, if I squat, it's on a Smith machine. But for the majority, to be fair, with it, with the deadlift and the squat, I'm only doing them because the current gym I'm at really lacks equipment when it comes to those areas. So I'll be moving to a new gym in November, and I'm I'm going to be more than likely um, using pretty much exclusively machines. Uh, I don't think there's anything problem, wrong with that. Uh, you know, I think um, if you go from say three plates on a hammer chest press to five plates over the course of a couple of years, your chest is going to grow. 
Um, and you can say the same about leg exercises and back exercises and stuff like that. So um, things you can do, you can warm up with an isolation exercise. So let's say you're working legs, okay? Um, you can start by placing leg extensions at the beginning of the workout. Um, after that, you might do leg press. After that, you might do a squat variation. Or if you're, if you're splitting your volume across the week, which you probably should be, you could just do a leg extension and then a leg press. And on the next day, you could do a single leg press and some kind of squat machine. There you go. You've got a couple of different ways to get a lead-in exercise, which then leads to your main exercise. Other thing is do mostly machine work. Because um, it is what it is. Obviously, we'd all love to just smash away on squats and deadlifts and benches all year round and keep making progress. That'd be fantastic. But, you know, after 20 years under the weights, it's, it's just not possible. People ask me, people ask me in the past, like, you know, how did you get your injuries? It's not, it's, they're not injuries per se. It's just your body becomes slightly more fragile after a while. Like genetically, the strength is all still there. Um, my body still wants to be strong, but you just get injured. I don't think people really get that because I don't think people really understand what it means to be strong. Like people will say, oh, that guy's strong, that guy's strong. And you kind of see them and they do maybe a three-plate bench with their partner helping them and it bouncing off the chest and it looks like shit. And they're like, oh, that guy's strong. I don't, they, I don't think people really know what a genuine four-plate side bench looks like. Or what a you know, or what a genuine like seven plate deadlift looks like. I don't think people really understand that kind of strength. They can't visualize it because they've never seen it. So that kind of strength leaves a mark on the body, which is it is not an injury. It's just degradation, wear and tear. So um, that is, I mean, I wouldn't change anything. I I loved it. Um, yeah, I, I I can, you know, I can I can be happy that um, I came here with no major injuries and full use of everything. But it's just. I need to adjust my training these days. So uh, yeah, hopefully that answered your question. So that's the last one. I think that was 10 questions altogether. Gonna wrap it up there. Thanks all for tuning in and speak to you next time.